Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us again for another session of Scripture Searching Together. Our purpose in these programs is to point out that our Christian faith was Jewish in its origins. There's been an enormous tendency in church history to forget that basic fact. The Gentile influence in the church from the second century onwards was very strong. Now, this should alert us to the possibility that radical changes took place in the faith in those early centuries, immediately after the death of the apostles, which have distorted some of the traditions which have been handed down to us. Now, the art of intelligent Bible study is to forget those traditions that we may have learned uncritically and to examine Jesus and his teaching in their first century Palestinian and very Jewish environment. This is only reasonable. If we are to understand anyone, we must take into account the culture from which they are speaking. I've used this example before. If I come to America as a British person and say, I'm mad about my flat, I'm likely to be misunderstood. The very same words in England mean I'm excited about my apartment. But in the States, obviously, I'm mad about my flat has a totally different significance. One of the most basic lessons we can learn about Bible study is that Jesus must be understood in the context of his own first century Jewish environment. Now, the Jews had certain ways of speaking and certain ways of thinking that may be foreign to us in the West in the 20th century. We have to be sure that we're not reading our own Western 20th century ideas into the Bible. In order to get the, at the truth of what Jesus is teaching, we must read his first century Jewish ideas out of the Bible, unencumbered by the various traditions that tend to clutter up our own understanding of the Christian faith. Now, let's take a very practical example of how tradition and a westernizing Greek tendency tends to obstruct the plain information of some of Jesus' most basic teachings. For example, how did Jesus view the future of the world? What view of history did Jesus have as a first century Jew? Well, it's quite obvious that he based his thinking entirely on the revelation given us in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Now, the Hebrew Bible in Daniel 12 and verse 2 had set up a very plain structure for understanding the meaning of history, understanding what God was doing by way of his plan to work out salvation for the earth. In Daniel 12 verse 2, we have a very fundamental statement about the destiny of mankind. In that verse, we read that many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awaken resurrection, some to the life of the coming age, literally the life of the age. Now, unfortunately, our translations of the Bible obscure this very Jewish way of reckoning time and history. What those who are resurrected expected to gain when they were resurrected from the dead was the life of the age. The rabbis then said, that means the life of the age to come. And that expression, the life of the age to come, is part of the basic vocabulary of Jesus and the whole New Testament. 
Again, in our translations, that fact has been obscured from the public. Now, this information is available in good commentaries, and it's important that we alert you to the fact that there is more information to be had in the original Greek and Hebrew texts than sometimes emerges in our translations. One of the most basic phrases known to all of us in the New Testament is the expression everlasting or eternal life. Now, that translation is strictly inaccurate in terms of its Jewish environment. That phrase, eternal or everlasting life, which comes from Daniel 12, verse 2, should really be translated the life of the age to come, or the life which will be enjoyed in the age to come. Alternatively, the life of the kingdom. The kingdom of God in the New Testament is exactly synonymous with the life of the age to come. And the age to come will be that period of human history inaugurated by the future coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom. Now, that's part of the basic vocabulary of the New Testament writers. But the fact that they spoke always of the present evil age to be followed in the future by the coming age of the kingdom is not clear in all our translations. As you read through the New Testament, try substituting the expression the life of the age to come when you come across this expression everlasting or eternal life. For example, in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he appointed his unique Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have the life of the age to come. That's to say the life of the future kingdom. Now, that is illuminating because it brings then before our attention the fact that Jesus and the apostles thought of the present era of human history as essentially evil. You'll find that in Galatians 1 verse 4. But they're looking forward always to the coming of a brilliant new era of history to be inaugurated by the coming of Jesus in the future to set up the kingdom on the earth. Now, we want to make it quite clear that the Bible does not think in terms of a timeless existence in eternity. It knows only of the future in terms of time. We'll come to the end of the present evil age and we'll then experience the beginning of a new age of history. Jesus in Matthew 19.28 says that in the new age, when the world is reborn, you disciples will join me to reign over the twelve tribes of Israel regathered in the land. Now, in the parallel passage in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, we find that that co-regency of Jesus with his apostles, his reigning with them over the twelve tribes, is going to occur in the future kingdom of God. So by comparing then Matthew 19, verse 28, with Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, we see that the co-regency, the ruling together as kings of Jesus and the apostles, is going to occur when the world is going to be reborn, that's to say, in the future kingdom of God. But we note that time does not come to an end when Jesus returns. It's simply that we move from one age to another. And so the return of Jesus in the future marks the beginning of the new age, that's to say, the life of the age to come mistranslated in our Bibles as eternal or everlasting life. Now, I want to point out that that life in the age to come will in fact be endless life, but it's not a timeless life, and it exists on this earth. You see, the earth is the scene of the future glory of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes to rule with his saints. It's not that we disappear as disembodied souls to heaven. 
Such an idea would be incomprehensible in the Jewish environment in which Jesus taught. No, that idea of going to heaven as a soul post-dates the New Testament. It was a Greek traditional idea that came in through the influence of Greek philosophy, in particular Neoplatonism, a resurgence of the old philosophy of Plato, and it was Plato that divided man into two parts, into a body and a separable conscious soul which could exist on its own. That idea of dividing man into two parts, that dichotomizing of man into a body with a separable conscious part of him that really cannot die, is not biblical at all. It comes from a time when the Greek philosophical ideas were pressing in on the church during the second and third centuries and onwards, and Christians became confused as they were unable to sort out what was originally the Hebrew Jewish faith of Jesus and the apostles and what was really an intrusion from the alien world of Greek philosophy. Now, it's a well-known fact, and this can be substantiated in good dictionaries, the Encyclopedia Britannica or Americana, for example, that there was a strong Greek influence which came to bear upon the Christian faith in the second century and onwards. And many of those Greek ideas have come down to us all these years. And Bible readers are often confused when they have certain presuppositions which do not come from the Bible but come from the Greek philosophical influence that affected the church as early as the second century onwards. And so then the art of intelligent Bible study, intelligent truth-seeking and truth-searching is to get rid of that Greek influence which so often affects our way of thinking and to read the Bible in its own Jewish environment. That's the way Jesus and his mind can be appropriated for us today. We must think as Jews did. The mind of Jesus was very Jewish. The apostles were very Jewish in the way they thought. And so the modern Jewish roots movement, of which we are certainly a part, makes a most important contribution to our research into the life and the teachings of Jesus. And these are certainly not just academic matters. They are matters of life and death because the faith, as Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said, was once and for all delivered to the saints, as to say, in the circle of the apostles who learned from Jesus himself, the Christian faith was laid down for us in the Bible, and it was not intended that that should be tampered with or altered. It was never the intention of the apostles that Greek philosophy could be taken in and mixed up with the faith without a serious loss of truth. In fact, Paul warned against the dangers of philosophical influence. But we in the West are often even unaware of how heavily we've been influenced by that Greek culture, and it's come to us even in the church. This makes Bible reading difficult for people, because they're unable to distinguish between what is of Greek philosophy and church tradition and what is really the truth as Jesus and the apostles taught it. We have time to point out two passages of Scripture which gain a great deal of light when they're properly translated. The King James Version at Revelation 10 verse 6 says that there will be time no longer. That is a serious mistranslation and has been corrected happily by modern versions which render the same sentence as follows. There will be no more delay. 
You see, the King James Version there gives you the impression that time is going to come to an end when Jesus returns. Nothing could be further from the truth. What the book of Revelation says in that verse, in Revelation 10 verse 6, is that there will be no more delay. That's to say, God is now going to intervene and establish his kingdom. But to say there that there should be time no longer gives us a very false impression and misleads us into thinking that time ceases when Christ returns. Time does not cease when the kingdom of God is established on the earth. In fact, there will be a period of a thousand years. That's the first stage of the kingdom of God. And that thousand years will begin, as Revelation 20 explains, at the coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on the earth in the future. Now, in Luke chapter 20, in verse 35, Jesus obviously subscribed to this idea of the two ages, the present evil age and the coming age of the kingdom. In Luke 20, verse 35, Jesus said that those who are accounted worthy to attain to that age, that's to say the age of the kingdom of God, Jesus referred to that well-known age, that future age of the kingdom. That is simply part of his Jewish vocabulary, and it was well understood by those who knew the Hebrew Bible and believed in God's great revelation through the Hebrew prophets. That's all we have time for for today. We leave you to ponder these great facts about the Jewishness of the Christian faith. Join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.